everybody. Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 337 being recorded on February 18th, 2015. I'm Ryan Schrout. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm a really pale Josh Walrath, but I'm better now. And I'm an equally pale Sebastian Peek. Well, let's not get into a whiteness contest. <laughs> the only re- I mean, to be fair, I have orange filters on all the lights mm. uh, that are being pointed at me. So uh, much, much how Josh needs an orange light from his monitor yes. to, to give him a little color. I do the same thing here. Um, so it's really cold here. It's supposed to get down to like minus uh, 10 or 11, I think. Is that right? Something Some like that. Yeah. like that. Before the wind chill tonight. Um Hey, you're not in Boston. You don't have much reason to complain. Well, well, I mean, I'd say that in general, even during the summer. To be <laughs> to be fair, I'm not in Boston, but uh, I did have two days in a row. I had to shovel snow, and that's that's kind of uh, I'm kind of done with that stuff now. Sebastian, did you get snow up there? Oh. Yeah, but not a lot. Really? But it's yeah. like single digits outside. So yeah, it's going to be really cold. Like there's about like minus twenty. They canceled schools for the rest of the week already. Well, it's uh, because they don't know what snow is. That's crap. They canceled it because of the hell? temperature, not because of the snow. Oh, okay. So because it's going to be minus 20 with the wind chill. That doesn't happen here. Yeah, and they actually they canceled like university schools too. Like University of Kentucky is closed, Moorhead, NKU, all those. All and those I are. call the Vancouverites weather wimps. That's just sad. Well, they are. Has it ever been minus 20 in Vancouver? I would guess Oh, hell no. yeah. Just not in a long time. Yeah, it's and, it has and, been. And I'm me and the un- migrated Ontario whites are the only people out on the streets. <laughs> we, <laughs> the, uh, the natives, you just don't see them. Yeah, I think it, they said it's it, it will be the coldest it's been in this area since in like ten years. So, not totally out of you know it's it's not. Hey, you know what? Weather is not climate. True. We can't have global warming if it's minus twenty here, right, Josh? Something like that. Fuck <laughs> <Talk> to the <sighs> droughts in California. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Alan's not here, so forget about him. Sebastian's filling in gracefully, I might We're finally going to have a good podcast. Finally, we can have a high-quality show, because uh, we're back to the single shot of me, right? And so everybody gets a little bit zoomed in on my face, and today I'm extra tired from uh, having to get up and shovel uh, snow two, two mornings in a row. But this is the real reason you're not broadcasting in 1080p. Right, yeah. I didn't <laughs> want everybody to see um, all this. So so much closer than they normally get. But anyway, uh, welcome to the show. We record the show live. By the way, if you watch if you're watching watching it after the fact, you miss all the excitement of kind of being a couple minutes late because of technical difficulties. Uh, but we record it every night. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> we don't. We definitely don't do that. Well, in one version or another, one of us records this show every night. Yeah, I know I do. It's in it's in my head. Uh, most nights, but uh, every Those are flashbacks. Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific at pcper.com slash live. And if you need a reminder for that, you can go to pcper.com slash subscribe. Go to this webpage here. You fill out this little form. It's such a tiny little form. It asks for your name and your email address. That's literally all we use it for is to send you notifications. Excuse me. Notifications when we do live streams, which will be things like this, or game streams, or sometimes we have guests come in. We've got a couple of those. Gosh, I'm drinking water and I'm burping all over the place. We got a couple of those planned in February and March as well. So you'll want to be sure you are signed up for this list because it usually involves us giving stuff away, uh, which we are also doing today, courtesy of our friends at EVGA. EVGA, as I title it, would like to give you a GeForce GTX 960 SSC and 
a, uh, a Z97 FTW motherboard. You sent them my address? Uh, I did not send them your address, Ken. But no. They want to give me one. No, by you, it's, I should have put it in quotes, I guess, because by you, I mean some one person who fills out these forms and answers these questions. Uh, so you can win a EVGA GTX 960 SSC as well as an EVGA Z97 FTW motherboard. And all you have to do to do that is listen to this podcast and then fill out this form. Uh, my computer stopped off scrolling, this poor computer. Um, so you'll have to fill out this questionnaire here. That is your name and your email address. Those are very important. I need to be able to email you if you are the winner. Answer these two questions. Um, obviously, they're they're kind of you know they're meant for you to get information, not really to tri- tri- uh, trivia you. Question you. What am I? Whatever. Um, the most important part here is the bottom section. What is the secret phrase from podcast three three seven? Uh, which is today's podcast. And we will give you that secret phrase at some point. We don't know what it is yet, so we can't possibly give it to you now. But you will, uh, after this podcast, you can go here and fill out this form, and you'll be entered in uh, for that contest. If you're listening to this after the fact or watching it, uh, just go to PCPro.com and look for the EVGA. We'd like to give you a GTX 960 post, and uh, you'll have all the details there. So keep an ear out for because the secret it, phrase. It may or may not be gerbil insertion it may or may not be we're not saying one way or the other if it is and that's disturbing and it's very disturbing let's uh talk about some crap because there's more this week uh than i expected there to be first up uh last week i got to go to san diego where it was 72 degrees and not minus 10 where's your god now <laughs> yeah and i only stayed for 34 hours but in that time i got to meet with qualcomm we learned about the snapdragon 810 soc which is a new kind of flagship part uh coming out really this year i think we'll have uh, at least one phone the lg is it no yeah the lg flex 2 so what that is right I don't know. I don't. There is at least one phone scheduled to come out in February using this part. So this is a new a new flagship SOC that we got to go out and get hands-on with, ask some questions, learn about it, and uh, do some testing on. Now, the 810, the Snapdragon 810 is a combination. It's an SOC, so it's CPU, GPU, a whole bunch of other stuff combined here. Uh, it is the first uh, Qualcomm part to use Cortex-A57 and A53 eight-core design, right? So four plus four, big little combination there, 64-bit capable processor. It's using the Adreno 430 graphics, which is a an increase in performance over the Adreno 420, but architecturally it is the same. Uh, it has a new modem <clears throat> that supports Category 9 LTE, which can do 450 megabits per second over that through carrier aggregation, which is simple, essentially means you get three channels of 150 megabits per second each. It has a uh, dual-channel DDR4 I'm sorry, it's not dual channel. It has a DDR4 memory controller, which I believe is the first. Um, it is the industry's first announced. Oh, it is dual channel. 1600 megahertz LPDDR4 memory controller, which is interesting. It also has uh, Qualcomm's first UFS 2.0 support integrated, which is uh, like a, it was a SATA-based connectivity. We're talking about uh, speeds along the range, storage speeds more along the lines of kind of current generation SATA as opposed to like USB 1.0, which is what I feel like most phones and tablets get today. Uh, it does have H.265, HEVC, decode, encode, acceleration for 4K video, recording and playback. Uh, overall, it's a pretty impressive chip. 
and, and technology-wise. It is interesting to note that the wireless, like the, the, the Wi-Fi radio, is separate in this case. It's not actually included on the SOC. It is an individual chip um, that does support – where do I have that at actually down here? Maybe – Wi-Fi. It has a Qualcomm A6174A, but it's an 802.11ac 2x2 radio, which is nice. That also includes um, 802.11ad support. So the 60 gigahertz Y gig is built into that controller as well, um, and it also supports multi-user MIMO on the 802.11ac. So a lot of cool, like new stuff on this. I didn't really expect there to be a lot of new things on the Snapdragon 810, but it did a good job there. And you know, they're talking about the normal stuff of hey, it's going to run cooler, it's going to run the same games at a lower thermal levels, or it's going to run new games at higher performance uh, that we weren't able to get to before. Um, when we look at benchmarks, which are always kind of interesting to discuss when it comes to mobile SoC, we compared the Snapdragon 810 to a whole bunch of parts. Uh, Ken and Alan and Sebastian helped me gather all this data on a very short time frame. We have like the Nexus 6 uh, that has a Snapdragon 805. That's... Uh, Sebastian's phone there. We have the OnePlus One uses Snapdragon 801. Uh, we had a Galaxy Note 4, which is the international version that uses the Exynos 5433, which has the same Cortex-A57 plus A53 big little combination of processors, um, just running at a slightly lower clock speed. Then we have the Shield tablet. We have the Nexus 9. Uh, we actually have the Dell Venue 87000, which was a preview of the performance numbers we displayed later. iPhone 6, iPad Air 2. So all the flagship SOCs that exist are included in that. And so here's kind of like a look at what you see here. Right? So Geekbench 3 is kind of your SciSoft Sandra of the mobile world in terms of testing integer and floating point performance. If you look here, these are sorted by uh, performance level of the single core results. Apple A8X, still, and A8 for that matter, still the, the best performing SOCs on the market, uh, followed up by the Tegra K1 Denver, and then pretty closely thereafter, the Snapdragon 810 reference platform. And then um, you see some of the differences there. But when you go into multi-core, the Snapdragon 810 is actually faster than the K1 uh, Tegra K1 with the Denver cores and the iPhone 6-based Apple A8, but it's slightly slower still than the A8X. Um, gives you an idea of synthetics browser benchmarks the 810 is very high up on this list in general it tends to not be able to kind of break through the a8x or tegra k1 denver line of products um you can see here like again in sun spider the only two that are really besting it are the two apple uh devices the iphone 6 and the air 2 um we have some you know some of the benchmarks are android only so for instance the Viyamo. Viyamo 3.1 or 3 yeah 3.1 tests here again the Tegra K1s are running a little bit faster than it uh, in, in a couple of those instances from the GPU side that's actually where we were told to expect the most performance improvements over the 805 and 801 from Qualcomm uh, and in fact we did see some sizable improvements there but it is not it's not as fast as the Tegra K1. It's not as fast as the Kepler cores uh, on those parts, or it's not as fast as the A8X. But keep in mind that those, you know, the Tegra parts run pretty hot, and there's a reason why they are in no phones, right, at all, and only a handful of tablets, right? If you count, you know, the Tegra Shield tablet, or you count the Nexus 9 and the the what is the Xiaomi MiPad, MiPad. I don't know what that's pronounced. Um, you can probably take a guess. 
Yeah, probably take a guess. Uh, but it is better than the 805. It's better than it performs better than the Samsung Galaxy Note 4, which is using you know the the Samsung's own Exynos processor, using the same processor design, same CPU design, but it uses the Mali T760. I think is that right, Josh? I think that's correct. I think so. Um, so overall, you know, the performance was was really good. This is an interesting one here. Fill rate is affected by memory bandwidth, right, Josh? Yes. So. Dual-channel LPDDR4. Here's the one test where it beats even the Apple A8X. Is the Snapdragon 810 is best in fill rate on, uh, on our GFX bench test, which kind of makes sense. It probably has the best memory interface of all of the uh, uh, tested devices. doesn't seem to buy you a whole lot right now. It's not, yeah, it's, you're right. It's not, it's not resulting in a lot of performance changes there. And it's, very, it's interesting to talk about. We'll, we'll get into it more in the, in the coming weeks about what systems are actually holding back graphics performance on SOCs and, and tablets and phones. And it's very often not – it's GPU speed or CPU speed. A lot of times it's memory speed. So maybe some of these real-world gaming scenarios will be able to uh, demonstrate that. So we looked through and we got our 3D Mark scores. Uh, does very well. Only falls behind the Tegra K1 Denver and basically ties the Shield tablet. That's a great result. Uh, and then in the physics test, not as much. So And actually, interestingly, this is the one place where the Dell, the Atom, the Intel Z3580 uh, kind of takes the lead is on the uh, 3D Mark physics test. So a lot of these results here, a lot of numbers here. This is, by the way, what the reference testing platform looks like. It's like a six-inch phone, but... Um, six inches thick? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's weird. Like, this is all, you know, there's all kinds of data connectivity options that wouldn't normally be here and on the other side. So, and then so it's a doorstop, right? Yeah. Yeah, it looks like it. it looks like it. And then yeah, we also had Motorola will release it next year. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, you know, I came away from the Snapdragon 810 pretty impressed. Um, it's, you know, it's it's kind of my first experience, kind of going out and going to like an editor's day type thing for these for specific hardware release. Uh, and we had to do a lot of work getting built up and preparing all the other data necessary for it. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what this turns into. However, we really need to test it in a, a retail device, right? All the other benchmarks and stuff we have are from are not from reference devices. They're from things you can go out and buy and purchase yourself. And these are in reference designs in tablets, form factors, and in phone form factors, although larger than your normal phone form factors. So uh, getting, that L, getting a hold of that LG phone, I think, is going to be really important to determine what the 810 means for uh, Qualcomm going forward and through 2015, where there were some question marks earlier in the year. Hey, did you try the uh, Ben test with that uh, with that phone? <laughs> no, I was. I they, they there was only apparently six of them in the whole in the whole Qualcomm campus, and they were not really up for me to like stretch it with my thumbs and try to try to break it. Lame. <laughs> that or the tablet. They're hiding it. Yeah, it's it's definitely a feature that they're trying to, to cover up to cover. Uh, I like the uh, measurement stuff, the uh, Intel feature. Oh, that's a, we're not on the Dell. Yeah, yeah. That's hold on. Let me oh, check. This is still the Snapcom. Yeah, yeah. Still the Snapcom. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, you are. You're you're about one, two, three, four, four, five, four, five uh, points. I'm sorry. I was still excited rundown. about it. I read it recently. And I understand. It was fun. I understand. Any other thoughts on the Qualcomm thing, or should we just move on? There's lots to get to. So, hey, it's 20 nanometer part. That's right. Yes, it is 20. It is a 20 nanometer TSMC part. It's so big compared um, to what was announced today. Yeah, I know. Uh, which is basically the only other SOC that was shipping on it still is the A8 and A8X, right? So uh, they have an edge over all the other SOCs. All the, everything else was built on 28. Um, and uh, Samsung did announce today that they were 
beginning mass production of a 14 or 16 nanometer 14 14, 14. nanometer finfet don't know what i don't think they even named it um but uh, well it's an exynos yeah no but, they it's an exynos 7000 series isn't yeah it? did it okay i'm I, pretty sure the product i only kind of there. glanced at the uh at the press yeah. information but yeah it uh you know that just segue into that uh, samsung announced that it's it's going to be one of the first 14 nanometer finfet non-intel chip that will be shipping and uh, they're shipping it for their own phones and it looks like it's going to be the first product to be in the galaxy s6 the s6 yes mm-hmm. ken right yep. uh yeah that's the rumor i don't think that is the rumor for real said but they said they're not going to use a qualcomm chip so. no isn't that interesting that we heard all of this stuff about the qualcomm 810 overheating and it wasn't appropriate for for cell phone use and they're gonna drop it and and uh it, i think some people pulled the handles and and decided to you know wait and see but Oddly enough, the Qualcomm 810 doesn't overheat like the rumors were saying. So if we're putting on our conspiracy hats, do you think it's because they, like, so do you think they made up these sort of potential issues for about the 810 because they've discovered their 14 nanometer yields are way better than they can actually ship these phones to North America? It as could. they may have not expected to be able to do that? Well, previously? possibly. Um I guess you know one thing you, you're going to have to take a look at is the product release cycles. Okay, everybody's going to be coming out with this Snapdragon on 20 nanometer. Everybody else is going to have 20 nanometer stuff. But if we wait three months, we're going to have 14 nanometer FinFET, and we could potentially have a much faster, more feature-filled, cutting-edge, possibly have one of the higher-end uh, Mali chips uh, graphics. And did they? comment about that or no um, i don't think they said graphics i don't think they, they think so but i mean that's that's a potential there and so yeah they're going to be a couple months behind and everybody else is going to have a pretty similar phone but mm-hmm. then hey guys wait three months you're going to get this just wait bro it, it could potentially wait, help bro. a the s5 didn't sell a lot of units let's put it no that. it did not <laughs> i i don't imagine unless the soc does something amazing i don't imagine it's going to be it's a huge significantly better battery life it, i mean right i like, mean it could be i guess i don't know we'll see more on that to follow uh we're going to talk about something that i left off of the rundown and that's my fault it's here. Brian's fault not mine uh usually i'd blame ken but it's probably still ken's fault we do want to mention real quickly, Alan and I took a look at the performance of USB 3.1. If you remember at CES, MSI had a demo running of a, of a motherboard hooked up to a reference kind of like test platform with a pair of SSDs running in RAID 0. Uh, well, they sent us all that crap, essentially, and we got to take a look at it. So uh, this, was, this is kind of the uh, reference platform. This is an Asmedia built board that has two SATA connections hardwired onto it. These aren't, you know... Been nice if they had been like cables or something, but this does provide power that way. Um, an extraneous power connection too. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of connections on here and buttons and things that we we just hit them all. We shouldn't. Yeah, we just touched everything. We, you know, shorted as many pins as we could. Uh, and then you've got your three USB 3.1 connection out and your Molex power in. And basically, what this does is it it's hard coded to create a RAID zero array from two SSDs uh, in order to kind of test performance of this. So they sent along the. Uh, X99A, right? Yeah, X99A Gaming 9 ACK motherboard, 
which is a high-end flagship board that has a whole bunch of other features like the streaming engine, you know, H.264 encoding, all that whatnot. Uh, but the main reason we had it here is to test USB 3.1, which is actually rated at 10 gigabits per second. Um, note here, this is a USB Type-C connector, not necessarily... Uh, it's not a requirement of USB 3.1. Our USB 3.1 connections look like standard Type-A connectors. Type-B. I don't know why I keep doing that. Wait, well, no, Type-A on the motherboard, Type-B on the device, on the test device. I don't remember. Uh, they look like these blue ones right here, the ones that you're used to seeing. <laughs> Uh, and it's only two ports. And it's, so there's an Asmedia controller on the motherboard. There's an Asmedia controller on the prototype board. And uh, they talk together here and transfer data, as it turns out. Now, Alan found out, and this is kind of interesting, that the, the difference in USB 3.0 and 3.1 is not just a doubling of data rates. It's also the encoding is slightly different, right? So uh, what does he say here? The uh, SuperSpeed Plus, which is what 3.1 is called, because why not, uh, upgrades the bit encoding type from 8-bit, 10-bit, 80% efficiency, to 128-bit, 132-bit, which is 97% efficient, in addition to the doubling of the raw data rate. So uh, that means that after you account for the overhead, the USB 3.1 best case throughput should work out to about 1.1 gigabytes per second, which is actually a 2.44x increase over the USB 3.0 speed. So... uh, the potential is there for uh, up to 1.1 gigabytes per second of actual throughput. Now, what did we actually test? Obviously not that close to 1.1 gigabytes per second. Uh, In terms of uh, just a Windows file copy, we saw as high as 607 megabytes per second out of it compared to the fastest USB 3.0 device we saw uh, at about 400 megs per second. If you look at our Atto scores, though which is kind of our best case results, right? High Q depths, high uh, block sizes. We're able to see upwards of 734 megabytes per second read and 708 megabytes per second write. So that's you know dramatically higher than our Windows file copy tests and way, way higher than what you could get on USB 3.0. Again, this and is- And frankly, just awesome because it just ignores the Q depth. Uh, almost. Uh, well, okay, almost ignores it. Like, we're not talking significant differences here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and this is likely... So that's kind of neat for what the other things the USB 3.1 can be used for. Well, I mean, Q-Depth is... Q-Depth is something you want, right? Because it allows you to, to, you know, transfer things faster uh, when you're doing multiple file transfers, for example, you know, like bulk copies over. But these controllers didn't seem to handle it very well. And that's not like a USB 3.1 specific thing. It's more likely just early integration of the drivers or early integration of the controller firmware itself or maybe even the controller itself, right? So much like we saw with USB 3.0 where the first generation of products was faster but not uh, you know, reaching peak levels, we think this first generation of USB 3.1 will be the same. And then we'll see, you know, iterate a couple of times before we actually start to, to maximize that out. And also keep in mind that um, you're going to need really fast storage on the other end to saturate USB 3.1, right? So we've got two, those are two Intel SSD 730s right up here um, attached to, you know, running in RAID 0. And we're getting 700 something megs out. Those should be capable of 900 megs per second or so, maybe a gigabyte per second. Uh, so you're going to need really fast SSDs 
or really fast PCIe style storage or something like that, or a native USB 3.1 controller to really maximize the performance of that of that device. So I think more likely what you're looking for is you know maybe multiple vi- multiple devices running off the same chain, or you have a hub with multiple SSDs or external drives plugged into it. Uh, it's just in, in a similar way to to what Thunderbolt offered up as a potential for external storage and connectivity. USB 3.1 appears to do that as well. So. We don't know when we're going to see it in an actual motherboard yet. This I don't know when that X99A Gaming 9 ACK motherboard is going to be available, um, but it should be relatively soon. I, think, I wonder how much it, it makes MSI mad that it's an, uh, an Asmedia Chia chip. Well, as far as I can tell, Asmedia and Asus are fairly far separated at this point. Is that not the case? I thought that was still a subsidiary, but... I, I mean, there's there's probably a couple of levels. I think of, they may have been spun off just because of this. Oh, yeah. I, I remember. I don't. I don't. I can't say for sure. I don't. I don't remember exactly. But I remember that it, when it when Asmedia was first created, it was a very. Hey, let me Google that for you. Fact checking ruins podcasts. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, slows oh. it all down. If we just make stuff up and act like we know, then it flows way better. So anyway, that's USB 3.0. Come back and bitch at us. Or yeah, that's USB 3.1. Go check that out. Uh, that was posted uh, on February 12th. Now we'll get to the next item on the rundown, which is to talk to Sebastian about his experiences with the Thekus W2000, which sounds amazing um, because of the 2000 in it. But what yeah. is this device, and was it any good? Well, um, obviously. I was called, Ryan called me at home to make sure that I had some ideas for how we could add more enterprise coverage to the site. That's always been a big focus. Obviously, I have a lot of fans looking for server coverage. Mm-hmm. What really happened, of course, is Ficus, um kind of approached us with a new product, and it seems, I wasn't really sure what to expect. It seems kind of not really a consumer-focused product. It's basically a server appliance which doesn't sound very exciting, but you could use it as a NAS. It's small. I have it actually right here. We'll talk about jobs and like that. You got a small it, NAS. It yeah. It looks it looks like it, it looks like a NAS, doorways, but it's a two-bay a NAS. So yeah. inside, however, it's, it's it's actually got desktop, well, net top class components in it, and it it's the most interesting thing to me was it actually runs a full version. Uh, with a licensing caveat, but a full version of Windows Server 2012 R2 Essentials. Hmm. And it's pre-installed. You have a COA on top. It's ready to go. And even though the hardware is a little modest, it's an Atom D2700. It's a generation or two old um, processor. You've got two gigabytes of DDR3. Um but it has, you know, like video output USB on the back, and essentially you set this up like a computer. You plug a monitor, keyboard, and mouse into it. This is not one of those devices that you're going to exclusively control over your network. Um, you can absolutely remotely control this, but for initial setup, at least, you have to hook up a keyboard, mouse, and monitor to it. And uh, once you have named this thing and put it on your network, you simply go to a specific uh, address from one of the computers on your network and 
It'll launch a little window that invites you to download Microsoft. There's the link there. Down, download Microsoft's connector software. And then it kind of just guides you through connecting your computer to your new domain that you've, hmm. that you've created with this thing. So it's, it's nice how you have like more consumer-level features with this. That launch pad gives you access to... Uh, obviously shared storage, any kind of shared storage you create on this. So I created just uh, like an SMB share, just a folder on the network that showed up. Um, one thing I noticed, though, after the uh, software installed on my client PC, on the screen here, you see that it started immediately making like shadow copies, like backing up um, mm. prior versions of copies of all the like personal files I had on this PC and you can use this to manage backups. It has a bunch of other integration. I didn't really get into in the article at all. It's got office 365. It's got Azure cloud service integration. It's got remote management features. It's essentially kind of the rebirth of windows home server basically, but the storage server, uh, limitation i guess it's 50 up to 50 computers can connect to this thing and they don't need what's that that seems like enough yeah i mean for a for a home or even a small business yeah have you seen my testing lab (laughs) (laughs) look at all those computers that have no monitors or processors in them yeah he's got a wireless kvm (laughs) (laughs) imagination (laughs) so what, what kind of performance did you see out of it then uh, regular performance over the network was exactly what I would expect from any NAS. Like I just have a regular gigabit, you know, switch, and I was getting the same like roughly hundred megabyte per second reads and writes up and down to this thing as I got from the other NAS yeah. units I've tested. So it's overall performance. I mean, the thing ran pretty close to a hundred percent all the time. I was maxing out the resources of this, of the hardware, but I never really experienced anything sluggish. You know, I, I wasn't doing anything really aggressive, but I just tried to come up with some use cases. Like what would a, a person at home use this for? And I never really, the performance was good. Like when I was interfacing with it directly, setting things up, it's got, you know, all the control you want and, and probably more unless you're an advanced user. I, using Active Directory to set up, you know, accesses and... Ugh. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> and you use as a counterweight on your turntable. And, it, you know, it added, it added something to the sound that I cannot quite quantify. <laughs> but it's definitely... It made it warmer and more expansive. And it changes. And it's the buzz mm-hmm. of, it's a buzz of uh, the, the exhaust fan, I think, is what you were hearing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Now you did take apart the inside. Of, you did take this apart to look at the inside. Anything interesting and noteworthy there? Yeah, uh, right up on top, you see there's a a full size, well, a two and a half inch SSD. I was kind of expecting some kind of EMMC or something mm-hmm. in this, and it's actually a a real Kingston SSD. It had decent read and write speeds. It's connected to like I think a SATA two mm. bus, so it's it's limited, but it's the the RAM is just regular SODIMS. It's not officially supported, but you could throw more notebook memory in this. It's not uh, error-correcting memory. It's just a regular SODIM. They officially support up to 4 gigs 
and the Atom platform will see all four. It has two slots. So there's a little bit of room for expansion. I was just kind of impressed that it was, you know, it's got a buy four PCI Express slot in there. It's hmm. pretty standard um, little motherboard. It has a buy one and a buy four. That's pretty cool. And uh, the, the pricing on this was pretty impressive too, right? With three fifty, I think. Yeah, they're full retail on its three fifty. Um, that's with no hard drives, I assume, right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. To it comes with the, the SSD and it's pre-installed with uh, the, the Windows Server software, but you've got to throw in your own three and a half inch hard drives. That's still pretty nice. So you yeah. actually created a domain with that. Yeah. You have to yeah. log in. Do you have yeah. a ninety-day password? window that you have to change is your wife unhappy about this <laughs> um i i don't remember what i even changed to do i've changed it to something crazy like a year but it, yeah you you're literally administering a domain as exciting as that sounds when i restarted my Dreams computer are coming after installing, true. yeah they were it, you reinstall <laughs> and you're you're forced to log into a domain on your desktop and it's like oh and then you had to Type in a password. It's you know, it's just like being at work. They really so sell. You were, sorry, you were running this on Windows eight. Yeah. Okay, because uh, I'm just now thinking, Windows seven Home Edition doesn't support domains. Yes, and someone in the comments asked this question. I was kind of looking into it, and I honestly don't know because I was using Windows uh, eight and then like an. Uh, like an evaluation copy of enterprise windows to like boot up a different computer. And I, I think that is going to be a limitation of this is that you would have to have either a professional version of windows seven, or you would need to be using windows eight. Cause even with the connector software, that's just a shortcut to get you connected to the domain. It still has to support it. I think at the OS level. Hmm. Huh? Yet another reason to avoid home additions. I mean, who's using windows seven anymore anyway, windows 10 is almost out. Come on, dog. True. It's three versions newer. It's three versions newer. Yeah, <laughs> 7, 8, 9, and Hey, 10. and it's free. Yeah, yeah. Update to Windows 10 for free if you're on 7. Then you can connect to this uh, home server. I'm glad they really figured out what made Windows home server not work. There wasn't enough domain management. <laughs> they needed more domain management. It's going to be a huge Clearly. runaway hit now. Clearly. Uh, they're, not, they're not doing it right until it comes with Active Directories pre-installed. <laughs> All right, let's run through a couple more things. Alan's not here, so hey, there was a Crucial BX100 release. Now I'll mention another thing or two about it real quick. Uh, this is kind of Crucial's uh, budget SSD line. Uh, it is incredibly inexpensive. It performs very well. It's using a silicon motion controller, uh, but they were able to fix the performance issues on the low-capacity drives. So like uh, if you look here, uh, the 120 gig still runs at 185 megabytes per second writes. The 250 is up to 370 megabytes per second writes. And there's not, not as dramatic a fall off as we saw in some of the previous silicon motion drives. Um, we don't need to see the internals, their drives. Uh, performance, yep, 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 performs good. Yep, yep, yep. It, it's an SSD, and it's max, it's, you know, on reads especially, it's maxing out the SATA bus, right? That's pretty much, that's pretty much where we're at. Right. Um, the, here's the important part: is that it's darn cheap. Uh, as of this recording, let's see. The 500 gig version was 180 dollars on Amazon, which is 36 cents per gig, and it is still 180 dollars on Amazon. So, um, what's interesting, actually, I guess the 250 gig did it go up a little bit? Looks like it did. 
used to be yeah, about eh, five bucks. Ninety-five. Oh, okay. Okay. So what's interesting is that you could get a two 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 hundred and fifty gig drives for eh, I think it's twenty dollars more now than a single five hundred gig, um, or two five hundred gig drives. Actually, actually, what what what, the, what his idea was is you get two five hundred gig of these drives for one hundred eighty piece. That's three hundred and sixty total, which is less than the one terabyte drive, and you get the performance benefits of running these SSDs in RAID zero. So, and all of the data security that comes along with that. Correct. Right. They're you know, SSDs. They don't die. You're only mm. doubling your potential death rate of your your primary partition. They're and just unless the you're Ryan, cheapest. in which case the odds are about even. <laughs> yeah. You know that's the best thing about that Ficus is that you're running a domain on that SSD, and and you know that SSD it's not going to die ever, and take your domain with it because you have no actual backup procedure of you should be recovering. backing up the OS on your NAS. Yeah, <laughs> that might uh, my credentials out of the licensing window for that. They can't get into my computer. <laughs> Bye. It's like when you take an ex- it's like when you take a power cord and you plug it into itself on the other end and you create an infinite power loop. <laughs> You nope. create, you've just created an infinite backup loop, so it's nothing, until you unplug it to plug it into something. Nothing could nothing could ever go wrong. Um, so that's the BX100. It's kind of the replacement of the MX100 that we liked before. Uh, better performance, uh, lower prices. I think everybody can like that. So uh, it got an editor's choice from Alan. It's whatever you know, he's not here. We don't have to talk about it anymore. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Uh, another short discussion we'll have here, Corsair CS Series Modular 850-watt power supply. Lee posted this review up this week. This is um, – so it, the CS Series is kind of like their uh, – It's like their consumer grade. Yeah, yep. so it's like one above builder, I guess, right, which was CX. Is that what that was? Or CM. Is it CM? No, CM. I don't know. No. I don't. I don't they've got either. too many power supply they've got a, lines. They've got a ton yeah, of power AX supply because AX was lines. the fancy one. Then TX and, yeah, HX. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is a kind of more on the low-cost side of things. Still has, you know, it's obviously rated fairly high output wattage here. Uh, you're looking at 70 amps on the 12-volt line. Uh, arc welding joke, eh, not really at an 850-watt level. Fully modular. You know, you, you you can tell by looking at some of these things that you know the cable quality is not as good as you get in the HX or the AX line of the higher end stuff. Uh, but it's fairly small; should fit into um, less cases. But I mean, look at the back, right? You're <laughs> you're fairly limited. I'm sorry. I guess I was incorrect. I, I said fully modular. It's only partially modular because you've got your primary ATX uh, power connections and probably two of your PCIe connections coming out of there as well. Yeah, but you're not you're not adding a whole bunch of accessories to this to this machine, even at the 850-watt level, which is kind of interesting to consider. Um, man, the insider power supplies are still cool looking. Mm. Look at that glue and stuff. Glob, glob, glob. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very technical discussion about power supplies. Damn straight it is. <laughs> so as Lee writes, the CS850M is the king of the hill for, of course, their CS Modular Series, which now ranges from 450 up to 850. Uh, it is positioned towards the high side in the middle of Corsair's numerous power supply offerings, targeting users who want a price-friendly power supply for general-purpose desktop systems and light-to-moderate gaming where low energy use, low noise, simple installation are important. It's a 80-plus uh, gold certified unit. Um, and it is Unfortunately, it's only got a three-year warranty, and yeah. uh, they used a sleeve-bearing fan on it, so it's not going to be there forever. 
Yeah, $139. So fairly inexpensive, I think, for an 850-watt power supply. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, you find, as he notes here, you can you can upgrade to the Corsair RM series, which will get you a five-year warranty, a better cooling fan, and a good assortment of all modular cables for just 20 bucks more. So even though the uh, he, he does like the CS series, the, the RM series may be the better, better upgrade path for you if you can afford the shift. Okay, uh, our last full review of the week, the Dell Venue 8 7000. This is the one you were talking about, Jeremy. This is one you were excited about. This is every hardware seller's dream. And by hardware, I mean hardware stores, home hardware, Revy. Because now they'll say it's not, well, it's about the same size as a table. They'll be able to pull out their phone and say it's this big. So this is the Venue, and you're talking about on the back... Very poorly placed. Uh, there is this primary camera is at the bottom, and these two, this black bar actually has two 720p, 720p's, <laughs> has two 720p's cameras uh, that are separated and centered on the primary camera that create depth data. So the idea is, after you clean off all the fingerprints, because you're using your tablet like a normal human being would, you take a picture of something, and it generates the depth data, and you so can, it tells you how many feet of snow you've got to shovel. Right, exactly. It will it will do so that the trick with the, that camera is it'll do a couple things. It'll let you do uh, you know direct measurements, point to point measurements, or it can do area, you know, two D plane area. Now it works pretty well. It's not one hundred percent accurate, uh, and the um, it's it's not infinite. Right? I think it's there's like a thirty foot range that you can use in terms of forward backwards distance to actually to, so you to see a very points. attractive woman 50 yards away and you don't get her measurements right right and then you don't know what but kind they of, are on the side of the good yeah. so she she's good from afar but the other thing you can do with that depth data is you Far can good. uh yeah. you can adjust the uh like filter effects the instagram effects of uh, uh, you know of an of an image based on its depth, so maybe you want the background to be black and white, but not the foreground, or um, you want to do some of that weird stuff like that, or you can adjust focus on different things. You know, that it all works. It all works okay, but it only works okay. Uh, you know, in, in the the sample, the first sample picture I took to try to adjust depth is like there's just a couple of artifacts where it's following a, a, an um, like a closed up umbrella on my deck and it if only you had some screenshots of these in the article oh yeah wait, wait. Show. that's a good like point right now yeah sorry got distracted I got so excited to talk about it so if I go to the camera page and I go down here so here's what it looks like when you're using it you got the two small cameras up here just letting you know that they are free and clear here's your measurements right so you can kind of that section of my deck is 11.4 inches and it's Two feet, ten inches tall there, maybe, and that's like nine feet, and then this table's like 10.62 square feet. It's pretty cool when it works. It doesn't always work perfectly. Uh, and then this is like uh, adjusting focus after the fact. So here's like, you can kind of see the original image here. And then I was like, okay, let's let's make it blurry in the background. And it, and it does, and it, it works okay. But if you look around... Hey, let me zoom in on the on the higher res version here. If you, if you look here around the... Uh, Flagpole, the flagpole, if you will, the umbrella. Yeah, look pole. at Ryan's flagpole. It's it's not quite right, and then like the roofs of these buildings. It, it's like when the Google Street right View camera is really bad at blurring out the license plates. It's, yeah. It's so it's it's almost it's almost. What's the bars on your railing that get really weird around that umbrella? Yeah. 
here's where you can apply some of these Instagram effects at different depths, right? Uh, you can adjust brightness, right? For example, in a certain depth range, it's it, it, it's it's neat. Um, and the net result is you can get cool pictures like this of your deck with like a, a, a I don't know something on it and some Instagram effect that's only applied to the front, and then you can also measure on it. And you know, I'll also say about the camera because I don't want to talk about this part of it too much. Is it's not the best camera. It's okay. Not only do you have to worry about cleaning off fingerprints off the back of it all the time because of its placement. Yeah, but you have to do that. Like you should do the, do that whenever you're taking a picture with so your phone the, or your if tablet. If the camera's up here, yeah, and I'm and I use my tablet like this, right? I'm using my tablet like this you know, all day, you, that's, that's and I hold the only it way and you I scroll <laughs> and I do this, right? And I'm typing, I'm typing, and I'm You I'm never put zombies. it down and grab it from another angle or anything? Yeah, I can. And, and I'm not saying you'll never have to clean off them uh, if it's up here, but you always have to clean them off if they're down here. But anyway, uh, when you do get it nice and clean, uh, you get uh, an okay picture. It's not great, right? It's, it's okay. Like, for example, we have, these, uh, we have this cool little slider demo we can show you now. Uh, where here is the Dell Venue 8 7000 on the left and the Shield tablet for example, on the right. And you can already tell uh, if I scroll over here, like if you look at the table right here and the noise on the, which should be a very flat kind of solid color black. This is, this is when somebody says you've got noisy. enough grain to start a cereal company. Yeah, oh. exactly. Yeah. And you can see if I, as I go back and forth here, just kind of how much better that looks on the Shield tablet, right? Um, and then... See, that that's when you get a picture of your wife and your mistress. Nope. Nope. And you go back nope. and forth. You don't do that ever. <laughs> Uh, also, here's one like comparing it to the I- Apple iPad Air 2. Uh, look at this section under the TV. Kind of notice the clarity of the lines um, in the in the background panel, and you'll see a pretty dramatic sharpness difference between those two images as well. In addition to the noise difference, kind of on the front there. So, you know, we have a couple of sample pictures like that. We've got an outdoor scene. We've got like a, a low light scene. Here's a Dell Venue 8. 7,000 against the Google Nexus 9. You can kind of compare the difference there in, in terms of low light levels. Again, more noise on, on the Dell for sure. And hey, check out this cool new feature we got. Isn't that neat? Here's a zoom in of it. Let's, let's zoom in. Wow. All right. So there's, there's the camera. It's, it's, it's the least interesting part of uh, the device as a whole. Here's what's interesting about it. It's super thin. It's pretty light. I like the kind of industrial design on it. If you look at the front, let me uh, turn it on here. And you know, it looks like it could have come from Star Trek The Next Generation. It's that so? perfect size and kind of just square mm-hmm. boxy shape. So, you know, I've got it, – it's not going to come across great in video, but, I mean, you can see here the bezel is very thin. Like, it's, it's almost edge-to-edge screen on the top and the sides, obviously not on the bottom where your speaker and your front-facing camera is and then your dumb back camera. Uh, but – the screen on it is amazing. Uh, it is a 2560 by 1600 OLED display that uh, is is really really impressive looking in person. It has actually if you show the the kind of RGB charts here, uh, it's kind of interesting, right? If you look at the color space of the there's the Dell Venue 8 7000, Shield tablet, uh, Nexus 9 and Air 2, right? So you can kind of see how perfectly kind of the iPad 2 or the Air 2 and the Nexus 9 kind of match that RGB area there. And then the Dell Venue 8000 kind of extends outside of it. Now, some people that are maybe purists will say that that's, it's not perfect, right? They're, they're kind of going outside of that. But the, the instantaneous 
uh, impression you get from the display when you look at it, even just like looking at this background image, like they, they picked this background image on purpose, right? It's a, uh, because it's OLED, the blacks are really deep and the, the kind of contrast ratio you get between the blacks and the dark and the lights on this are, uh, it's it's really impressive, actually. You know, this is the product that probably stopped more people at CES at that um, I can't remember the digital digital experience digital yeah. experience show yeah. of anything. I mean, they were flipping that around, and yep. I mean, we just sat there and we looked. This at This and it. the XPS thirteen, uh, and you both you quickly Dell. waved Ken over. Ken, we've got to get video of this. Yeah, um, it, it it's. It's a really nice device, and it feels it great. Is. Like it, it, it feels like strong, right? It doesn't feel like like cheap. Uh, it is three hundred ninety nine dollars, so it's not cheap. Um, but that's you know the the Shield tablet's two ninety nine. This is three ninety nine. The uh, Nexus Nine starts at three forty nine. The uh, app uh, ugh, the Apple iPad Air two starts at I think it's supposed to start at four ninety nine, but for some reason. Those things are way cheaper now, like four thirty nine, four forty nine. I think maybe there's an abundance of iPad Air twos on the market. Um, so I, I like almost everything about this tablet. It is Android. I don't know if I mentioned that, by the way. It's Android four point four. Uh, battery life is really good. Actually, look at these numbers here. So our, our, our Wi-Fi browsing test is a little bit more intense than most. We're using kind of high power high power, uh, high compute web pages, and we refresh quite frequently. But if we look at the difference there between the Dell Venue 8 7000 that's using an Intel Atom Z3580 SoC compared to the iPad Air 2 or the Tegra K1 devices, right? So that's a pretty big difference there. In terms of gaming, uh, these aren't exact, but maybe you can consider them relative, right? The, the 3580 is up there in terms of battery life there. And then video playback. Uh, 11.66 hours compared to, you know, the Nexus 9 getting 10 and the Shield tablet only getting 6.5 or 6.3, which is really bad. Um, but they have a uh, they have a new driver uh, update for yeah, Shield. Yeah, it, actually it said today. battery performance and standby was oh. kind of what was changed. Uh, I will say one other thing about the screen because I wanted to show this. Uh, this is part of our testing. This is how we do the RGB testing. I don't know how this is going to come across on video. It's not really, is it? Look at that. Orange. Look at the iris. It looks orange, doesn't it? That's that's 100% red. Does that hurt anybody's eyes when they look at it? Yeah, it's kind of weird. It looks no, like it's floating. No, humans are built to see green. Well, it's automatically about, adjusting. So, yeah, it's but. adjusting the iris and stuff too. So it's it, this is a this is a failure. But uh, the subpixel pattern of, of this particular OLED is um, two greens RGBG. for every... Yeah, RGBG, right? Um, the the greens are smaller, but there's twice as many as the R and the B <laughs> subpixels, if you will. Uh, and because of that, I think that's the green is the brightest on this when you look at it. Uh, performance wise, so it is using an Intel Atom Z3580. It's a silver mount architecture processor. It doesn't win the benchmarks, guys. It is it does it simply does not. Like here's Geekbench floating point test. Right, it's the bottom of the pack when it comes to single core performance, uh, and it's middle of the pack there when you look at multi core performance. Um, you know, Google Octane, it's it's middle of the pack. Uh, in general, it tends to be faster only than the uh, iPad Mini Retina based on the Apple A7 SoC. 
right? If you compare it to the Tegra K1 or uh, the Apple A8X or the Apple A7, uh, it is going to be slower the majority of the time in these benchmarks. Uh, and that's, you know, that's disappointing because a lot of people pay attention to that kind of stuff. And if you're buying a device that's 400 bucks that you are planning on using for an extended period of time or you want to keep for several years, you want to pay attention to that. Now, here's what I'll say. You know, GPU performance, by the way, is kind of the same if we show these. Um, you know, it's it's faster than the A7 in that case or, or almost the same as the A7. It's falling way behind in some other areas um, in these particular benchmarks. Now, what I will say after looking through all these is that the end user experience is way more positive than the benchmark numbers have it looking, right? Intel has not been shy about talking to me about uh, how closely they worked with Dell to optimize this platform uh, in terms of, you know, making sure that uh, scrolling on a web page never stutters or almost never stutters, uh, that, that you know, the, the user interaction on the touchscreen is always the most dominant thing inside of the, the CPU pipeline, right? It always has uh, the first take on whatever CPU resources are available. Um, the, you know, web browsing is fantastic on it. Watching videos is fantastic on it. Watching movies like Gravity, where the black and the white are on this, you know, in space scenes, looks amazing. Gaming on it is, was fine. I played some Goat Simulator on it, uh, which is a very intense game for Android. I am so proud of you. <laughs> I'm so unspeakably uh, proud. And uh, it played pretty well. Uh, and we have we have some more stuff we're going to do in the in the very near future. Uh, looking at, yeah, here it is. There's a little uh, goat simulator. I can't believe I paid five ninety nine for this. Yeah, I can't believe you only had to pay five ninety nine for I, this I insanity. Have, but have you bought the siege yet? No, I have not. Um. So, uh, you know, it, so it'll it'll play the games. It'll, if you want to play Clash of Clans, you'll be able to play Clash of Clans. If you want to play Goat Simulator, you can do that. If you want to play, what's that game I was talking about before? Can Modern Combat Five or whatever? If you want to play a first person shooter on a tablet why but you can do it right so uh the, the real world experience was better than the than the benchmarks provided enough so that combined with the amazing l uh, oled screen the form factor the battery life that this did get an editor's choice from us and i do consider it probably the best android tablet out of the market even though it's 399 actually i think it's on sale today if i look at best buy it's 369 yeah so uh it's only available at best buy which is also kind of frustrating so keep that in mind. But it is, a, uh, I think, an amazingly impressive device that, again, I, you've got to be a little bit surprised because it comes from Dell and it comes from Intel, right? And it's an amazing Android tablet, right? I don't know how else to say it. You know, it's kind of a, kind of a shocker that it did that. I would like to see um, the camera fixed, uh, either the placement uh, or get rid of the the depth stuff is kind of cool but kind of gimmicky. So if you could shave fifty bucks off and not have that, that would be interesting as well. Uh, and it's only available right now in a sixteen gig capacity, which is way too small because the uh, when you turn it on, you basically have about ten gigs of capacity left. They are working on a thirty-two gig model, but they only have said in the coming months, whatever that means. It does have micro SD storage though, so up to five hundred twelve gigs supported in that. But I mean, look how thin that is. It's kind of like the perfect size of tablet. It's like and a whole the point battery, one millimeter thinner than the air, isn't it? 
six millimeters versus six point one, and we measured it yeah, with calipers. Yeah, point one millimeter. Yeah, yeah. And the and the battery life for something that small mm-hmm. and still performs pretty well. It's yeah. it's it's impressive. You know, Intel did like the battery life was something they they spent a lot of time focusing on optimizing on this platform basis. That's why it uses Android four 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 and not five zero. It doesn't use Lollipop yet. They will. They did promise to update it. Um, but I think they spent a lot of time kind of perfecting the libraries in that particular version of the OS to get the battery life where it needed to be, to get the performance where it needed to be. And they don't want to just kind of haphazardly drop Lollipop on it and have it break that experience that they admittedly had to do a lot more work to perfect than, say, you would be able to get if you just had a higher performance SoC. So Because yeah, there were never any complaints when people upgraded their phones to the newest Android OS about battery life. <laughs> or iOS, for that matter, right? So there's, always, there's always issues there. So how about the you... uh, pond oh, skip test? So the pond skip test? Yes. Only do it once. <laughs> Sebastian, what were you going to say? I just had two quick points because, you know, you, you brought up the thinness compared to an iPad Air 2. And I think that there are two kind of parallels to Apple ideology that are reflected in the, this device and why you had such a good experience with it. And one is they closely worked with uh, – Intel was working with Dell. So you had careful consideration for UI experience, optimization happening to do things like cause – uh, any UI uh, input to uh, spike CPU performance, get a better experience. Yep. Maybe it's not going to be an amazing performer in gaming benchmarks or some other uh, you know, CPU benchmarks, but if the user experience is always very fast and responsive, it's going to be a better experience. And then on the other hand, the complaint about the camera location, yeah. kind of in the opposite end of the spectrum where Apple would not release a product that, didn't have you know a, a symmetrical UI or a symmetrical uh, industrial design, right? Where this almost looks unfinished from an ID perspective. It has kind of it, you know they they clearly because of the limitations of thickness they couldn't put the uh, right. lens optics under the screen or you know limitations of battery. So it made the most sense to use the the bottom of the device, but. If it were more symmetrically designed, yes, it would be taller. Yes, it would be heavier, but the camera would be away from your hands. And there, there's there's trade-offs with it, but in the end, I think it's a, a great step in the right direction. If if you have a manufacturer who's willing to work so closely on optimization for a better experience than just throwing a ton of specs at a stock OS, and we measure, you know. Benchmarks and frame rates are all going to vary based on screen resolution. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's interesting because you know the, the section at the bottom is there, not just. I mean, it has the speaker, it has the front camera, it has the back camera, but it's also there so like you can hold the device. Right? It wasn't I don't want to Apple's things is like well you can't get rid of the bezel completely because then there's nowhere for you to hold a tablet. Right, and and that's why even with the Air, you know you've you've lost most of the bezel on the sides, but you still have that that chin, that defined chin. And of course there is an equal area at the top of the screen to make it symmetrical. And that's, they, they can use that area for the camera and they do, but that, that, you know, it's kind of funny because it looks like a giant G one, that original Google phone, but that also provided a good place to kind of rest your thumb. And it's like an anchor for the screen. It's just, yeah. 
And isn't Someone's there something with the multi-touch on this, or is that their XPS 13? Uh, I mean, it has 10-point multi-touch. But yeah. I think that's fairly... I thought it was, it was kind of the impressive that you have the 10-point. Actually, I don't know if that's impressive. I don't. I think the 10-point is, is a feature right? on the... Uh, I think 10-point's been a feature on every capacitive touchscreen. Like right. I, I think it's a selling Watch. feature for devices that have the uh, active digitizer... <laughs> Are you gonna do rock band now? <laughs> we tested it. You can do ten, but if you go over ten, it starts to freak out. <laughs> and I can only do five because and it's it does say five there, by the way. I can only do five because I have to hold the device as well. So lame. Uh, I, I really like the. Well, if you had Alan there, if, if I did, oh darn, our oh, darn. Uh, I really like the tablet. Um, I know not everybody's going to uh, be enamored with it, I guess. I would love to have seen this in the 32-gig capacity. If they could release the 32-gig version at 399 that would be perfect. Because um, you really need that capacity. A 16-gig tablet is not fantastic. You know, Some of these games that I've downloaded on are like 2 gigs apiece. So you run out of space pretty quick. And especially if you're going to take photos and put video on here or all that kind of stuff. Um, that would be nice. Again, the SD card slot is there. You don't get on, say, an iPad, right? If you get the 16-gig iPad, sorry, don't do that, I guess. I did that, but for testing purposes only. Uh, but, you know, you do get the expansion options on this. Actually, you know, it's interesting. The Nexus 9 does not have an SD card slot. Um, so there's no expanding on that either. But check out that review. There's a lot of cool stuff in there in terms of pictures and comparisons and whatnot. I spent a lot of time on that review, so hopefully somebody reads it. Please read it. Please read the review. Congratulations. So, and play so, with the new JavaScript switches. Yes, yeah. See what breaks. And please don't break. I'm sorry. That's just a really neat design. And it it's, doesn't feel alien in your hands. And No, I, I, I told Ken this. That screen is awesome. I, I told Ken, like, I've been using it for the last, you know, week and a half or so. And it's, you know, a tablet has not been a part of my normal routine for a long time. But the battery life is long enough that, you know... Like I would leave it for a full day, not remember where the battery was at, and kind of it wasn't charged. And I'd go pick it up, and I've kind of had this expectation of oh, it's kind of going to be crappy. And the thing is, oh, it's got sixty percent left or whatever it is, right? And you get the same experience, to be fair, from like an iPad, right? I'm always surprised at how long an iPad lasts in terms of its battery life, and I feel like this is this is kind of right up there with it. So um, hopefully they don't make me send it back. I guess is the best I can say. But uh, right now they they're sending a return address label. Oh, some crap! I know. Uh, anyway, let's move on to some news. We're going to run through these as quickly as we can because it's getting colder outside. Can you give a weather check for me? What the temperature is outside? It's cold. That's. that's but is it Wyoming very, cold? Is minus ten? It's Wyoming getting cold? there. That's pretty cold. Yeah, that's pretty damn cold. Uh, Ubisoft, no Ubisoft, discusses Assassin's Creed Unity with investors. Uh, or as the uh, thing on the sidebar says, Ask Creed Unity update. Um, Scott, also accurate. Yeah, Scott wrote this up. Uh, Jeremy, do you have a synopsis of what they say here oh, in terms of... hell yeah. <laughs> a short synopsis. Not yes, a, I will try. Okay. Uh, so essentially to go with the truncated quote that Scott provided from uh, Eves, they were asked about you know, the quality of the engine. 
And they said that they developed 100% of this engine in-house. When you do that, it's painful for all the group and everything has to be recalibrated. But the engine has been created and it's going to keep help keep that brand to shine in the future. So congratulations, boys. You are playing a proof of concept. That is the reason why it fell apart constantly. Uh, there's a good argument to say that they were putting far too many calls down the DirectX 11 pipeline. But they may well have developed this for DirectX 11, 12, and future hardware. Now, we've bitched many people out for not developing games for next-gen hardware, but developing it for previous-gen. <laughs> True. At the same time, we've True. said, it's a game, I bought it, I should be able to play it without suffering nightmares from people without faces. It's an interesting, it's an interesting two sides of that coin, right? Yeah, uh, there are two very different sides of the coin. On the one side, I paid for a finished product that is yeah. nowhere near bloody well finished, or in my case, didn't pay for it, not going to pay I'd for say it. It's, I'd say it's interesting to, to debate the, the question of, are you developing a game for hardware that doesn't quite exist yet, or an API that doesn't quite exist yet? Um, or both. Or both, for that matter. Uh, but it's an interesting kind of look at it, right? Because that was the initial thing. It was like, oh, look at all these draw calls. It's unnecessary for them to do that. And, uh, uh, you know, Mantle and DX12 would be able to handle it better. But the fifth time that you, you do the Ask Creed, it might actually be a lot better. Maybe. So Ask As Creed. storyline, can't comment on it. Never played the damn thing. Probably never will. You were going to say something, Josh? Nope. Sebastian? I think I was pouring a beer. Oh. And I was getting excited about it. It was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, beer. Give it to me. Give it to me. Ah, oh, throw it out there. Good to the last drop. This is the worst podcast. It is. I don't know why anybody Ever. watches this crap. Uh, <laughs> Asus introduces Ultra Slim ZenBook UX305. Sebastian, you wrote this up for us. Uh, what is unique about this? This is like, this is, it, it's, I don't know, tell me. Well, they claim it's the world's thinnest ultra portable, and I'm not sure why ultra portable is distinct from an, an ultra book or a laptop, but it's less than half an inch thick at the thickest point. It's using that. The new Core M Broadwell, it is the 5Y10C, so it is the slower variant, the 4.5-watt TDP variant. Yeah. But the, what I thought was cool about this, and yes, it's a slower processor, but it is only $699, and that's the, the asking price everywhere I found it. Asus is selling it. Microsoft is selling it direct, which I thought was cool because they yeah. have the signature edition for the same price. So it's a full, clean, installed Windows with no... Um, Ad-supported product, uh, no bloatware on it. Yeah, but it's it's got eight gigs of RAM instead of a stock four. It has a two hundred fifty-six gig SSD instead of one twenty-eight for the same price. So that's pretty nice. For, yeah, for a lightweight, you know, laptop with and and the other thing is it's a ten eighty p IPS display, hmm. and at, I've used a twelve and a half inch. 1080p IPS um, in I had a ThinkPad uh, Yoga for a short time, and scaling on Windows 8 is still pretty terrible. And I, I feel like 1080 is a little low uh, to scale and a little bit big to run at full res. Obviously True. on a 13 inch screen, yeah. it's just kind of a weird in between. It would be better on a 13 than it was on that 12. It's still kind of a weird screen resolution. This this Dell XPS 13 kind of has the same thing, right? It has a 10, 1080p screen, and it 
at a at a hundred percent scaling, it's kind of like too small to use, right? Um, but at like one hundred and fifty, some some in some places, it's too big, right? Or one hundred twenty five is too big. So it, yeah, th- there's a there's a balance you have to find there that Microsoft needs to find with its damn operating system. That's the point. Yeah, I feel like it is better in ten. I I have a uh, the current gen MacBook Pro thirteen Retina, and it's got a twenty five sixty by sixteen hundred screen. By default, okay. under OS ten, that runs at uh, twelve eighty by eight hundred, like pixel doubled. Mm. Uh, under Windows ten, I installed that under Boot Camp, so it was running natively. It actually was doing the same thing. By default, I think it was running closer to a two hundred. I'll have to look again, but it, it looked great. It's hmm. the first time I've seen Windows look as crisp for at least the Microsoft elements. Not every app worked that way. Some things look yeah. terrible. Yeah. But Internet Explorer, the Windows UI looked fine. So as, if Windows 10 brings us better high DPI scaling, some of these higher resolution small laptops start to look really good, but it's kind of a crapshoot right now. I, but hey, it's Broadwell. It is. It's, yeah, it's, it is. It's Broadwell Core M. So it's, kind of, it's basically the same kind of um, target as the Yoga 3 Pro. Right, very thin, low power, but lower performance than last generation Ultrabooks. Um, it is fanless, though. Oh, is it okay? Because the uh, Yoga yeah. Three Pro does have a fan in it. Uh, it, it, it. It's it's as much computer as just about anybody needs. Besides, like us, maybe like, give this to your parents or give this maybe. to your I'm sister gonna, gonna, or your, whatever. Like, them. It, it's all the computer they need. JJ, if you're listening, tell uh, Gary or somebody to send me one. If you or compare two. it against one of the Acer, like when this their sort of reinvention of the Ultrabook from a couple years ago, like the V5 series, they had like the 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 beefier Ultrabooks that had like Core i3 and Core i5 mm-hmm. processors and mm-hmm. nicer screens. Yeah, this kind of is the next step, and it's kind of in the same price range. Those are around four to five hundred dollars each, I think, maybe up to six hundred for the higher spec ones. So for six ninety nine, you're getting something that is decently fast with a nice screen and enough memory and enough storage that you're not going to need. There's no pressing need to upgrade. Yeah, I, I think it's a nice device. I might ask for that uh, addition with the larger memory and SSD pool. Uh, we'll see if that works out. Uh, in other news, people played PC games in January 2015. Uh Maybe not surprisingly, the top five games did not change position for the top games in January. Psst, top games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, League of Legends, World of Warcraft, <laughs> Dota 2, Counter-Strike Global Offensive, and Smite all maintained their positions at 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And Skyrim is still in there. Where is it at? Oh, there it is. 11, 18. 11, 11. Released in 2011. Oh, all the mods. We thought you just got. Do you stuck. think? Do you think uh, that 079 percent share is maybe 078 percent share nude mod? Like, like clean Poss- faces. Possibly. <laughs> oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Josh knows what I'm saying. Look at. You should see some of the workshop thing. <laughs> I don't want to, but okay, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, let's right. see. Diablo three ratcheted up five spots. Uh, Apparently, there was a patch or. A- Update or something. Uh, okay. Minecraft's still up there. Dragon Age down a few. Uh, not a whole lot of shifting here. Warframe down six. Oh, no. Oh, no. The free-to-play of that. I don't 
I don't know. Count how many games of these are free to play? No, let's see. League of Legends is free to play now. WoW is free to play. Well, mostly. Dota is free to play. I mean, it's free to play up to a certain point, right? WoW is. Yeah. Yeah, up to level twenty. Counter Strike Global yeah. Offensive is not right. You got to pay so. for that. Nope. Smite, yeah, but it's cheap. I, Smite, I don't know what that is. Smite, no free idea. to play. I'm sure it's free. It to, sounds free to play. It sounds free to play. We can't do this because we don't know the answers. Uh, Hearthstone is free to play. Something you begged someone to give you a key for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Diablo 3 is not. Minecraft is not. Dragon Age is not. World of Tanks is. BF4 not. Arch. It's the exact opposite of free. Arch Age. That sounds free to play, too. It does yeah. sound free to play. <laughs> Final Fantasy 14 online. Probably not. I don't think so yet. Guild Wars 2. Uh, you have to buy it. But it's free yeah. to play after that. That's right. You're right. That's the yeah. that's the pay to play option, as we call it nowadays. <laughs> uh, Old Republic. That's free to play. That's F2P. Uh, FIFA is not. War Thunder is. Skyrim is not. Warframe is, and Arma Three is not. I bet so that's I about think half. It's like ten out of twenty. I bet it's like half. <laughs> but I love the fact that Arma Three is still holding in there after a month. Uh, didn't? Wasn't there just like an something with Arma Three? Uh, there's well, it's relatively new, oh, and okay. there's more than a few uh, add-ons coming on. Yeah, to it. yeah, there are like a couple of mods I've seen lately. But it's more of a battlefield simulator than a battlefield game. Correct. Well, yeah, I mean, correct. I love it, but I'm just amazed that people are still playing it. You know what Josh loves? He loves him some mini-sized graphics cards. Oh, you know, I've had one or two <clears throat> of those two here. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If you know what I mean. So it means. looks like Asus is continuing its trend of a GTX 960 Mini. Hopefully they call yeah. that and not micro, Mini ITX because the it, it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't need to be put in an ITX motherboard, right? Just It's just a small video card. Yeah, yeah. Uh, decent cooling. Uh, of course, the uh, GTX 960, it's not a power-hungry beast. No. Um, it's uh, you, what, what the one thing kind of disappointing... It? But you understand is you know the 128 bit memory bus on this. Still, it's a mid range product. Uh, the competition all features you know 256 bit bus. But at least the one thing that Nvidia has going for it, they massively increased the L2 cache size of the Maxwell architecture, and I think that is that is really offset the need for a lot of memory bandwidth. But there's going to be certain applications. Where it is key, but having said that, it's another solid-looking member of the ASUS. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> ITX. It's, a very, it's, a it's very only six inches design. long, so I mean, it can fit in almost any <laughs> slot. Damn it! You had to go there. Hey, you know what? We do what we can. We do what we can. Uh, and moving on, NVIDIA kills notebook overclocking. Um, this is an interesting story that I don't, I don't think I have any – the problem with notebook testing is we have to give the notebooks back. And uh, thus, I don't think I have a discrete NVIDIA notebook. You do? Well, I'm not We're using, using it as our file server. Yeah, I'm not disconnecting our file server from anything. <laughs> um, so here, here's the story. Jeremy, you wrote this up. Let me give you a quick background. Apparently, with the 347.29 release, they just disabled the ability to uh, like change your GPU clock offsets on mobile well, graphics chips? 
but it was only in for about four or five versions. Uh, more if you count oh, the betas, really? but only four or five versions did this come in. Huh. Okay. Do and you have a time? Do you have? Do you have a time frame? Driver, you can still do it. Do you have a time frame of when it came in? By uh, chance, I looked into it and got lost in release notes because sometimes Nvidia doesn't put out release notes. Yeah, I won't true. claim that that's my fault, but I might have had something to do with that. So, well, that's true. Yeah, it might be your fault, actually. Um, it, it might be. So let's but just I, say. I mean, do we think it's for a year? That you've been able to overclock these parts around that I'm thinking nine to twelve months, and so it was in there, and then this release took it out. Uh, and I think the Nvidia statement. Did you link to the? Um... Uh, there was a, a a very polite forum conversation on this topic, um, but yes, uh, we did get uh, Manual G from their customer care. Um, who straight out said, unfortunately, GeForce notebooks were not designed to support overclocking. Overclocking is no, by no means a trivial feature and depends on a thoughtful design of thermal, electrical, and other considerations. By overclocking a notebook, a user risks that right there. Or but, non-functional systems. No, no they uh, don't. But the problem is that, and I mentioned it in the article. I'm going li- to overclock my lithium-ion battery, <laughs> and that's going to be what happens. Not Maybe exactly. You usually sit in the laptop, Josh, towards the back where that Lion battery is. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh. So when it starts to get warm, and, <laughs> so and as wait I a said, minute, it's wait not a minute, wait a The silicon's got to quit before it does any of that. We're folding at home. No, no, and no, no. You run no, that no, and you no, walk no. away from it? No, 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 no. no. That's. You're not going to break. That system is going to crash before anything Correct. happens. They're not worried about things catching on fire as much as they are. Uh, a bad user experience. It has to be what it is because the the GPU like there's already hard limits on how much voltage it can draw. Right. Yep. Keep in mind, like the Kingpin version of the GTX 980 from EVGA without soldering, or the ASUS uh, Matrix Platinum card without soldering on the back of it can't draw any more power than you know 700. No, was it 70 millivolts more? 34. It's plus 34. 84. It's something like... No, because yep. the 960 goes up to 100 millivolts. So a tenth of a volt. Mm. Uh, more than it could otherwise. So, like, there's not that much of a difference. So it doesn't seem like a, a, a good excuse that it's dangerous to the hardware. Now, NVIDIA has a bad history recently with mobile GPUs and and, and kind of reliability, I guess. Uh, you know, when... All those soldered. Oh, po- I guess points. that is ball gate. history. Yeah, the ball yeah. gate, if ball you will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Surprise, Nvidia- Josh and I. Where were we seven right? years ago? Nvidia has ball yeah. gate, uh, and so they may be kind of extra cautious about things there. But again, this is overclocking. This is not a default product that's going out like that. And yeah, but all overclocking voids warranties breaks, anyway. Who are you going to blame? Uh, you're well, gonna you're going to blame ASUS or blame MSI. Does, no, I think does, I think they go to MSI or ASUS does, for not making it good enough. Does cool. overclocking your GTX 980 void the warranty? Because you're using only NVIDIA tools that can no, only not like, if you you're can't using NVIDIA it. tools, right? So it might be that they have qualified the the desktop parts to support it. Maybe they haven't qualified the mobile parts for it. Well, like just do that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just make the thing do the thing. So just that it works. Don't be stupid. And the make way it that people do want the it. Thing. If you buy a GTX 980 
mobility laptop, there's no reason as an enthusiast that you don't shouldn't have some of the flexibility that you have on a desktop part. It's probably not going to overclock well because they already know the thermals of the laptop and they've already probably clocked the chip chip up to that. But well, I mean, there's always, there's always headroom, it. just like add-in card vendors that have pre-overclock cards. Yeah, there's always more headroom, and if you're willing to sacrifice a little bit louder fan noise, um, then yeah. you should be able to do that. And I don't. And as he straight out said, there's thoughtful design of the thermal, electro, and electrical, and other considerations. So if you've bought an overclocked laptop, expect it to work. Right, but but. There's there's careful design and thermal considerations when you buy a desktop enthusiast discrete GPU as well, and you they still give you the ability to modify things above that. Yeah, um, you just stack ice cubes on it until you right. You just do what Sebastian does, and yes. you ice cool your system. And maybe Not that's what that's what they should do with this. Is just if you I think if you submerge your laptop in an ice bath, is really when you get the best overclocking. Have you tried that out, Sebastian? Yep. Uh, yes. But you got to duct tape over the exhaust fans <laughs> so the water gets in. That may have been my mistake because the computer <laughs> the computer shut down very quickly, which I found odd because I was cooling it so well. How did it smell? Uh, I'm not sure. I lost consciousness for a while. Oh, <laughs> he was actually he, he, one was, of those he was sitting in the bathtub. Ion air well, I didn't, I didn't want my body heat to interrupt the process. So yes, oh, of course, I was in the tub. Yeah, with yeah. the laptop. Were you drying your hair at the time too? There was some extra power being run <laughs> to the laptop because I was also overclocking it. Ah, and now here's the, the picture ports. on the screen. Uh, here's a question. I guess I don't know the answer to. Can you overclock AMD mobility GPUs? I think you can, right? <laughs> Has anybody <laughs> to try? I don't know how to say oh, this. Crap. Does AMD still do mobility? I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how to say this, but I haven't had a, uh, a notebook in this office that uses a discrete AMD GPU since the 7970. Nah, I think it's 6000. No, I think we had the Alienware with the 79. I think it's a 6000. 6990M, yeah. but it was a single GPU, even yeah. though it was 6990. Maybe yeah. that was it. Oh, I think I've got a Latitude D645 at work that used an what, what if you got like a chip. What if you got like a Kaveri laptop, the one that exists? Can you overclock the GPU on that? But you don't want to. <laughs> I mean, do we have – is that what that is? No, this is Kabini. That's Kabini. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't think you really want to overclock a GPU in a laptop at all, ever. Yeah, but you should be able to figure that out for yourself why you don't want to. You should be able to yeah, figure out why you would not want to – Increased temps in a chassis that's less than one inch thick with a tiny blower fan, but we're not and talking two about little those. copper heat pipes. But yeah, we're but they, about, they, like, they, they, they design those thickness. things for worst case scenarios. I'm in Southern California and it's 105 degrees out. I'm in and my laptop and is still working. Right. I'm in Wyoming. <laughs> it's minus you know, 10 here. If I want to overclock, like I mean, I think for for those super thin chassis yes. designs like the I, Razer, I should be able to overclock that. With, with, with the Razer laptop, maybe, yes, I get you. But with like, if you look at the MSI or the Asus ROG or the, G, the MSI GT72 that are, you know, inch and a half thick machines with a lot of ventilation, a lot of fans, then then just go nuts, man. It just, like, it's just like it's, the worst thing that's going to happen is it's not going to work very well. Right. I mean, It'll just crash. NVIDIA well, no, doesn't I mean, restrict. What do you want to do? NVIDIA do you want doesn't spend the weekend in the vasectomist's office, or do you just want to slowly do it over time while you're gaming? Nobody puts their gaming laptop on their lap, Jeremy. I've seen it. 
It's, it's so sad. NVIDIA doesn't restrict overclocking. If I build uh, a mini ITX chassis in the smallest space possible with that Asus mini ITX 960 that's coming out, right? Uh, no, they I, don't. I put that Titan Z in that end case M1. Yeah, well, yeah, we're, yeah. With the the EVGA Hadron Air, where we put a, a Titan in, right? Like those types of things, they don't restrict it there. They're not overly concerned about. I mean, you could argue because that's because they can't. They don't know. They, uh, the, the, hey, you're right. Maybe they <laughs> they don't know, but I don't know. I and they, but they're, but they're not. If they were selectively saying, "Hey, you're in a, a Razer chassis, Razer whatever the hell their laptop is called, that's super thin, that has a discrete 965 in it or whatever," we don't want you to overclock. Maybe they should. Maybe you should let the OEM make yeah, that decision. Yeah, I was just gonna right. Like make MSI be responsible for it as you do with your add-in cards, and. Uh, Say hey, if you want to build a chassis that you're comfortable with doing it, then do it. Uh, but Nvidia doesn't—they're they're taking some of that stuff away, right? Keep in mind that you're, there's no overvolting, right? You can't control the voltage like you could uh, before. The 700 series and the 900 series don't support that, and add-in card vendors are kind of like stuck there, and they're doing things like putting solder pads in the back of a PCB so that you're hacking the the, the system in order to do it. <laughs> Well, you're not using a vendor's driver either. You're going straight to the manufacturer for the driver, so technically you're hacking there too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, let's get into our hardware software picks of the week. Mine will be really quick because we've already talked about it. It is the Dell Venue 8 7000 tablet. It is available at BestBuy.com for $369 with free shipping. It is the only place it is available for sale right now uh, other than, I think, Dell.com. So it's not on Amazon and it's not on – is my review listed here? Oh, man. Oh, wait, there are. There's one review. You should post it. Just the entire oh, text of, of your review under wow. there. Best tablet I ever owned. This premium tablet is a keeper. I've oh, they had, just sorted it by rating. I've had four Nexus 9s, a Tab S, and around 30 others. Wow, jeez, I should hire that guy. Uh, no, you should steal his content. <laughs> so three sixty nine ninety nine. It's not cheap. It's not a budget tablet. Um, but it is, I think, relatively inexpensive for what you get in terms of uh, design and performance and user experience and uh, stuff like that. So I, I would definitely consider that and make sure you go to PCPro.com and check out our review. Um, we went this whole episode and we didn't say our secret passphrase. Yeah, I did kind of put a couple of prompts in the hip chat. I don't pay attention to that crap. I got to look this up. Of course not. Um, so here it is, Josh. What did you say before? Uh, did you want a new one that would, that no, would let's uh, just really use the expand? Phlebotomist. <laughs> you have to figure out how to spell it. Ballgate. How about, how about just fantastic legumes? I like Ballgate. Ballgate works. Ballgate. <laughs> it is easier to spell. Do you need a hashtag and a hyphen in there? Uh, hashtag Josh Tech, hashtag Ballgate. <laughs> uh, hashtag thanks EVGA. Oh, Something did, like that. by the way, did any of you notice... Sebastian's lower third. Oh, I did. Josh oh. Tech. Yes. Yeah. But you didn't put the dot com on it so people don't know to go there. Why wouldn't they be going there already? I don't know. Anyway, uh, Jeremy, moving on. Uh, by the way, passphrase Ballgate. Thanks for wasting. <laughs> thanks for waiting all the way to the end of the episode, <laughs> assholes, before giving us the passphrase. So. Ballgate. It's, it's called retention, right? I guess. Right. Yeah. Think of the all the extra about being eyeballs. Is being immature. I don't care what any of you say. I want the new Viewmaster. 
this thing looks just it, so much fun and brings back so many memories. It won't work with the BlackBerry, Jeremy. I, I know it won't. I'll just steal a Samsung or something from someone. Uh, but just the whole idea that you know, the, another generation will know what the hell I mean when I hold something up to my face and go click, click, click to show pictures. This one's going to be VR. It's kid-friendly. Hmm. It, it's... Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's but, not kid-friendly. Hey, just <laughs> some of the, the slide Viewmaster is coming back. You took my code of Chrome away, but at least the kids will know what a Viewmaster is. And this actually does look like a lot of fun. Very cool. Josh, what do you got? You know, I've actually tested a couple of power color cards. I've been happy with them. This is one of the now cheaper of the uh, R9 290X. Wait, it's who do you got write a reviews fan for? Cool- what? Who do you write reviews for? I Maybe somebody... No, I bought one. Yeah. I bought oh, one. oh. I used it and it was okay. Oh, okay. So Boy, do you have any power color contacts? I have plenty of contacts. Ah, nice. Uh, so anyway, triple fan. The only bad thing about this, it will take more than two slots. So it's a two and a half slot uh, card. Uh, if you do a little side viewage on that, you will see <laughs> that it does go past the second Nothing slot. Nothing wrong with a little but side viewage, if you know what I'm saying. not too shabby. I mean, maybe a little thick in the middle, but... Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I think what two eighty nine after uh, all the rebates and whatnot. So uh, yeah, pretty pretty quiet as long as you don't have it like in a saran wrap case. Um, then it'll of course speed up, and three fans are louder than two. Cover all the exhaust with duct tape, and it will speed it, it up twenty five percent. If you're going to take a bath with it, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sebastian, now's your turn. Okay, well, there's a power supply I was going to talk about, but I've decided I will instead talk about the VPI Scout 1.1, which is a turntable for vinyl records. I'm sorry, it's a... Uh, it's, a have, it's a hipster toy. <laughs> did, did they have problems with that because of ball gate? Uh, I'm not at liberty to disclose any. What, what processor's that. in it? It's a one. It's a Pentium 386. Hey, you you can overclock it to 45. I'm sorry, the <laughs> Pentium was no. not a three. Okay. Anyway, it's at 72. It's, so so what what is this and why why it is it's interesting because of the engineering behind it. To make it very simple, it is extremely heavy. It's about 40 pounds. Holy the God. platter that the record sits on is 10 pounds of solid 6061 aluminum. But the most interesting part is the actual tone arm. If you scroll down the bottom of the page there, it shows a close-up of it. That tone arm sits on a needle point. It is not connected in any way. So when you're playing a record, you're literally balancing a tone arm between about one and a half grams of tracking force on the stylus, touching your record, and the tip of a needle that's beneath the other end that the entire thing is balancing on what they call a unipivot mount and it's so sharp you can do serious damage to yourself if you lift that tone arm up it just lifts straight up it's not connected to the turntable in any way you just see this sharp needle that is sticking up out of the the (laughs) base of the turntable this is perfect for children is what you're telling me it is it's 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 a a small one coming your way 
What's that? Oh my gosh! It's safe and you have affordable. A small one coming your way. Yes, and yeah. I, I felt it was essential. If I'm bringing another human being into this world, I wanted them to have something like this to play with. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> She's never going to learn good taste in records unless she teach her the hard way. They only do it once. You know, you got two eyes. You can afford to lose one. <laughs> that damn 3D thing that will get you later. Yeah. You have to use the Dell tablet for depth. Alan, or I, I can remember balancing stacks of pennies on top of arms to try and get it, the needle. Yeah, I was going to say, I have enough issue getting my turntable to track. for that arm. I was going to say, as the only other hipster on the podcast, Ken, what is your uh, statement on this uh, said? Uh, it, it takes turntable. me long enough to get my tone arm to track properly. I don't think I need another needle to have weighted properly on the other end. It's self-balancing, though. It's, it's really cool. You, once you set the tracking force of the needle, the thing kind of it, – it's kind of disconcerting because it will move around quite a bit. It kind of shakes – once it stops, if you're on a level surface, it, it completely sets the azimuth. It set, you know, it's, it's how very this, low maintenance. That's pretty awesome. How uh, how good would my uh, Star Wars read along Storytime records play on this device? Would it sound like Luke Skywalker was in the room with me? Um. The one thing I've discovered about higher-end analog equipment is the higher you go, the worse uh, many things sound because it's so transparent to the source. If it's a scratchy old record, it will sound exactly like a scratchy old record. So probably not very good. All right. But if you had the John Williams vinyl, that would sound I, I, I do somewhere, and it makes me sad because I can't find it somewhere in my parents' house. All right, um, so a VPI 2015 Scout turntable, the humble giant, if you will. Uh, I guess that's just about. Oh, here, oh, here we go, here we go. The Rebel mission to <laughs> oh, Old that was Mantel. awesome. <laughs> that was great because it came out between uh, Empire and uh, Jedi, so it actually gave me a Star Wars fix as a little kit. And the Top Gun soundtrack. Are you entering the danger zone? And if Sebastian wants to have a heart attack, uh, those were sitting on top of an Ion USB turntable. Oh. USB powered, my so friend. So we definitely know they're scratched now. USB powered. <laughs> well, these were the ones I could grab just without moving very far. Oh, nice. Ooh, Twisted Sister. Yeah. Excuse me, uh, can we go back to the Rebel mission to Ord Mandel? <laughs> That's a laser disc, isn't it? Wish. <laughs> Josh could play it. I did I did listen to it once uh through that ion thing, so there's that. All right, guys, that's that gonna wrap up the out. episode finally for us. Thank you everybody for joining us. Don't forget secret passphrase ball gate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not ball gag. But ball gate. Right. We didn't see fifty shades of gray on this. No. Um 
thank you again, everybody. PCPro.com slash podcast is where you can find all the back episodes, links to our RSS feeds, MP3 files, YouTube videos, or you can just go to YouTube.com slash PCPer. Thanks to EVGA for uh, subscri- or subscribing, ugh, for sponsoring uh, the prizes for this, the 960 and the Z97 FTW motherboard. Um, so uh, excited for that. We'll announce the winner on next week's exciting renditions of PC Perspective podcast. Until then, guys, I'm Ryan Shrout. I'm Jeremy Alstrom. Josh Walrath. Sebastian Peake. Bye.